have your Bibles with you this morning, turn with me to Revelation. Revelation chapter 1. Before we get started this morning, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for the Lamb of God, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who was eternally God. He was God in the beginning. All things were created by him, through him, and for him. And still he came to this humble earth and took on the flesh of humble man. He lived among us. He experienced the temptations that we experience. He suffered the sufferings that we suffer. He understands the trials that we face. And Lord, he lived his life, though in the likeness of man, he lived life never sinning, never failing to obey, Father, your commands. Though he was without sin, he went to Calvary's cross, and he gave his life there, not for his sins, but for ours. He paid that wonderful price so that we might have forgiveness before you. And Lord, after three days in the grave, he rose once again to show that we are justified in him. There's no sin left to be paid for. All the work is complete. And he reigns as victorious king in your heavenly kingdom. Thank you for the Lamb of God. And today, O oh Lord, I pray that you would reveal all the more the glory of the Lamb, the glory of Jesus Christ, so that our lives may be transformed by a fresh vision of his glory today. This I pray in Christ's name. Amen. Well, today we are continuing our study and the gospel-shaped outreach. We began that last week. We think that we believe that uh, our, our outreach should be gospel-shaped. Um, part of our commitment as First Bastrop is to love God, love one another, and third, love our world. And we love our world through gospel-shaped, gospel-centered outreach. And so that's a very big part of what we do, one of the main things that we do as a church. And so we want to look at, we're going to spend uh, quite a few weeks looking at gospel-shaped outreach. Now last week we looked at uh, eager evangelism. And we ask that question, how are we doing? How are we doing? Because we see in Scripture that God commands us to go make disciples. That is to go and to evangelize, to 
proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ so that the lost may come to know Jesus and enter into his kingdom. And so last week we looked at eager evangelism, why we should be eager evangelists, not only as a church, but each one of us as believers in Jesus Christ individually. And we looked at Romans chapter 1, verses 13 through 17, and there we saw that we should all be eager evangelists because of obedience, our obligation, our obligation to Jesus Christ, and our obligation to the lost who need to hear the gospel. We should be eager evangelists because of our confidence in the gospel. We should also be eager evangelists because of because the gospel is the power of God unto salvation for all who believe, and because in the gospel of Jesus Christ, the righteousness of God, that perfect righteousness which is required for us to stand before God's throne in the judgment, that perfect righteousness is revealed. It is made available through faith in Jesus and so then we saw how we, we asked that question, how we are doing. But as we continue on, as we consider the gospel, we need to think about who is Jesus. So that's the question that we ask today. Who is Jesus? And we see that Jesus is worthy. Well, if you found your place there in Revelation chapter 1, verse 9, please stand with me in reverence to the reading of God's holy word. Hear the word of the Lord. I, John, your brother and partner in the tribulation and the kingdom and the patient endurance that are in Jesus, was on the island of Patmos on account of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet saying, Write what you see in a book. And send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, and to Smyrna, and to Pergamum, and to Thyatira, and to Sardis, and to Philadelphia, and to Laodicea. Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me. And on turning, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the lampstands, one like a son of man, clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest. The hairs of his head were white, like white wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze, refined in a furnace, and his voice was like the roar of many waters. In his right hand he held seven stars. From his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun, shining in full strength. When I saw him, I, felt, I fell at his feet as though dead. But he laid his right hand on me, saying, Fear not, I am the first and the last, and the living one. I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death and Hades. Write, therefore, the things that you have seen. Those that, are, those that are and those that are to take place after this. As for the mystery of the seven stars 
that you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. Amen. May the Lord add blessings to the reading of his holy, inspired, and inerrant word. And may he write its eternal truth on all our hearts. And you may be seated. So this morning we asked that question, who is Jesus? And you see, that is a very important question in our day and time. A lot of people are asking that, that question, not just in the church, but, but throughout the world. And there are many opinions out there about who Jesus is. Some, though a few these days, say that Jesus is just merely a myth. He's just a myth. He's no more than, say, Zeus or Hercules or any of those other gods of the Greeks. Now, not many will say this because there's enough historical record to show that Jesus did exist. He was a man who walked this earth and he, he taught uh, the people there in Israel. But a few would say that he is just simply a myth. Others, including many religions, would say that Jesus is a prophet, a good moral teacher. And then some would say that he's a, a friend. Jesus is my homeboy. He's a buddy to pile around with. This is also a very important question for the church to be asking. Because as we hear the voices out around us, we could be influenced by the voices of the world. But we need to ask the question, who is Jesus? And we need to settle that in our own hearts here and now. Who is this Jesus? You see, if Jesus is just merely a prophet or a good teacher, well then, his teachings are maybe worthy of our consideration, but... You know, his life means really nothing to us. If he's just merely a myth, well, then we don't have to pay attention to him at all. If he's a prophet or a good moral teacher, well, we might consider his teachings, but his life makes no difference. If he's just a friend, if he's just a homeboy, well, then... His advice might be worthy of consideration, but it wouldn't be necessary for us to follow his command. He would have no type of, of leadership over us, no command over our lives. I mean, we listen to the advice of friends, but it's just their advice. We can take it or leave it. So who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? We need to ask that question because let me tell you something. If Jesus is King of kings, Lord of lords, sovereign God over all creation, that changes everything. It changes everything. It changes the way we live. It changes the way we serve. It changes everything. So we ask that question this morning, who is Jesus? And as we talk about gospel-shaped outreach, it is important for us to be reminded 
To see once again who Jesus is according to God's Word. Who is Jesus? You see, we need a fresh vision of the glory of Jesus Christ. We need a fresh vision of His glory. We need to see Jesus as worthy of our worship and our witness. Indeed, that's what Jesus is. That's who Jesus is. Jesus is worthy of our worship, and He is worthy of our witness. That's just kind of the natural progression of things, isn't it? We tend to proclaim that which we find most praiseworthy. Whether it be a new car or a new diet, whatever it may be, we proclaim that which we think is praiseworthy. We need to see Jesus as praiseworthy. We need to catch a fresh vision of who Jesus is. We need to see him in his divine glory. So that it may transform our lives. So today as we look at this passage, we see that Jesus is indeed worthy of our worship and worthy of our praise. And here's what I want you to do today. This is what I want you to take away from this sermon. As you leave here today, I want you to have a fresh vision of the glory of Jesus Christ. In such a way that it transforms the way you live. I don't want you to go out of this place the same today. I want you to go out with a fresh vision of who Jesus is. And I want that to change the way you live day in and day out in this world. As we look at the revelation of Jesus Christ, this book called the Revelation. Let me give you a little of the, the cultural context here. John is writing this letter. This is the Apostle John, and he is writing this letter, this book, uh, somewhere around 95 to 96 A.D. At this point in time, John is the only surviving apostle. The church at this point in time has gone through a couple of different persecutions by Roman leaders. First, they went to, through the, the persecution of Nero. Emperor Nero, he reigned from 54 A.D. to 68 A.D. And it was under his reign of terror over the church that Peter and Paul, legend tells us, they were martyred there in Rome. Peter was crucified upside down, and Paul, well, he got his head chopped off um, at the chopping block. Many of the other apostles and many other disciples of Christ were also martyred during that time. And now, this is the reign of Domitian. This is during the reign of Domitian in which the Revelation is written. And Domitian, he didn't like the Christians either. Domitian had declared himself Lord God and had put it on much of the currency of that day. Christians would not pronounce Domitian as their Lord and God for they witnessed that Jesus Christ was Lord and God. And so Domitian rained down a reign of terror 
on the church in his day. And so we see John telling us here in the first few verses that we read there, I, John, your brother and partner in the tribulation and the kingdom and the patient endurance that are in Jesus, was on the island called Patmos on account of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. You see, John, being the only surviving apostle, he had been condemned by Domitian to be exiled to this little island of Patmos. It was a, a prison colony, if you will, where they, they sent the, the worst of the worst criminals. And this is where they sent the apostle John. And why did they send him there? Because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. He is in a time of great persecution. The gospel is not popular in his day. It is not popular. To testify to the gospel of Jesus Christ could wind you up at the chopping block or it could wind you up exiled on a criminal, uh, an island made for criminals. And so John understands persecution. The church is under a time of persecution where the gospel is not popular. The gospel is not in vogue. In fact, the churches are feeling this pressure. That's why we see the first part of this letter written to the seven churches. As you begin to read through chapter 2 and chapter 3 of Revelation, you see that many of the churches, five of the seven churches that he is writing to, they have compromised the gospel. And so Jesus writes to them and saying, I have this against you. I have this against you. Here's something that you need to correct. You are wavering. You are veering away from the gospel. So Jesus wants his church to be encouraged by this book of Revelation, the revelation of Jesus Christ. They want, he wants them to be encouraged. He wants them to get a fresh vision in the midst of the persecution. He wants them to get a fresh vision of the glory of Jesus Christ so that they may persevere in the testimony of the gospel. And as faithful followers of Jesus Christ, we need this same thing today. We need that kind of vision. Because we are under persecution. The world more and more is telling us how wrong we are for being so exclusive. The world is telling us more and more why we should abandon God's word. Why we should abandon the gospel. We need a fresh vision of Jesus we need to see who Jesus is so that we might faithfully follow him worship him and witness about him so today in this this passage in these group of passages here I want to show you four attributes that make Jesus worthy of our worship and our witness four attributes revealed here in these passages that make Jesus worthy of our worship and our witness. And the first attribute that we see here that is this, that Jesus is the human king. Notice I said the human king. He is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. He is the human king. And that's the first aspect that is brought to light 
and John's vision of the Lord. As John is there on the island of Patmos, he says, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a voice, a loud voice like a trumpet saying, Write what you see in a book and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus and to Smyrna and to Pergamum and to Thyatira and to Sardis and to Philadelphia and to Laodicea. And then John, he says, I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me. And on turning, I saw seven golden lampstands and in the midst of the lampstands, one like a son of man. Here's one like the Son of Man, John says. And this is John recognizing that who he sees here is the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. You see, the Son of Man was Jesus' preferred self-designation. When he walked this earth, when he taught John and the other disciples, he often referred to himself as the Son of Man. And this, of course, is a a title given back in the Old Testament in Daniel chapter 7. We're going to turn there in just a minute. But this this comes from the Old Testament, and it emphasizes the humanity of Jesus Christ. Jesus is human. He is 100% human. He is the Son of Man. He is just like us in many ways. He he came to this earth. He was born as a child. He grew up knowing all the frailties of childhood. He had to learn to walk. He had to learn to talk. He had to learn things just like we learn things. He also faced our trials and our tribulations. He faced our sorrows. He was a man of sorrows acquainted with grief. He is like one of us. He is a son of man. He is human. All human. This should give us comfort. For this tells us that that he he can relate to our lives. Whatever you may be going through, whatever affliction you may be facing in your life, whatever suffering you may be facing in your life, Jesus can relate. In fact, Hebrews Chapter 4, verse 15 tells us, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every way, in every respect, has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Dear friends, Jesus understands what you're going through. Well, that's why we see in the chapters that follow, he has compassion for these churches who have gone astray. He can sympathize with them. And he can have compassion. Oh, he gives them a warning. But this warning is to call them back. He can sympathize. He has compassion for them. He is a son of man. He is a human being just like us. But he's no ordinary human being. You see, as the text goes on there, he says, he was clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest. This shows us the royalty of Jesus. This highlights his royalty. That's what the long robe represents in those days. People of royalty, they wore long flowing robes. We see that even in today. If you see the Queen of England dressed up in her royal regalia, 
She has a long flowing robe. And so this imagery of Jesus shows us that he is royalty. He is the king of kings, the Lord of lords. He is the very son of David, the chosen Messiah, the chosen king of God's kingdom. He is royalty. He is royalty set in place by God, anointed by God himself to rule and to reign. This again, as I said earlier, is a picture that we get from Daniel, the prophet Daniel. And, and it's very accurate. What we see here, we see some of the same things appearing in, from Daniel's prophecy to John's revealing. Daniel chapter 7, starting in verse 13, Daniel says, I saw in the night vision, and behold, with the clouds of heaven there came one like a son of man. And he came to the Ancient of Days, that is Yahweh, and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom, not just any kingdom, but God's kingdom, that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. This is the Messiah that God promised David to your offspring. I shall give an everlasting kingdom. I will found his kingdom for all of eternity. This is the Messiah, the chosen one, the anointed one of God who is to rule and to reign all of eternity over God's kingdom. There is not a nation, there is not a people, there is not an empire that will defeat this King of kings and Lord of lords. He rules, he reigns, he is king. That's who Jesus is. That's who Jesus is. You know, rank matters. Rank matters. If a PFC, if a private first class speaks, nobody pays much attention. But when the general speaks, everyone listens. Well, this is not just a general. This is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He has been given authority over all things. This is who Jesus is. This is who Jesus is. And it should make an absolute difference in us. Jesus is God's appointed king and ruler. And he is worthy of our worship and our witness. Second, Jesus is worthy because Jesus is sovereign God. Jesus is sovereign God. Continuing on there, John continues to explain his vision, to describe his vision of Jesus. And he says there, the hairs of his head were white like white wool, like snow. This indicates the divine wisdom of Jesus. His divine wisdom. Jesus knows everything. He knows all things. Think about that. Now, in our culture, uh, a lot of people tend to color their hair. 
right? Let's cover the gray. Let's cover the white. But that wasn't so in this culture that we're talking about. In John's culture, it wasn't in vogue to color your hair. In fact, white hair, well, that was a badge of honor because it, it indicated uh, that, that honor of aged wisdom. And so people tend to, would tend to honor and to respect those who had the white hair because they were recognized as having that aged wisdom. They had lived a long life. They had seen lots of things, and they had wisdom to share. And so John here, he paints this portrait of Jesus as having hair white as snow, white as the whitest wool to indicate his divine wisdom. Now we have a theological term for this. It's called omniscience. Jesus knows everything. He knows everything. There's nothing that escapes his knowledge. He knows everything. You know, many of the leaders of this world, they make bad calls. They do bad things because they don't have all of the facts. But that doesn't happen to Jesus because Jesus is an omniscient. He knows all. He has all wisdom. We see his divine wisdom. But next we also see his divine vision. His divine vision, he has hair as white as wool. But then, look, he says, he has, his eyes were like a flame of fire. His eyes were like a flame of fire. That means that his eyes were piercing. Right? You, you, you think about the Superman movies. And Superman had that, that vision, the, the x-ray vision. And he could burn through anything, Right? He could see through anything. Well, here we have a, the perfect picture of the Superman, Jesus Christ. He has eyes of fire. They're piercing. They see through anything and everything. Nothing is hidden from his sight. Indeed, we see here his omnipresence. His omnipresence. He is everywhere. He sees all. He knows all because He is everywhere. He is always present. Let me tell you, dear friend, there's no hidden sin that Jesus doesn't know. What you do in the privacy of your home is not held in privacy away from the sight of Jesus Christ. He is omnipresent. He knows all. He sees all. There's nothing that you can hide from Him. He is the Lord God. He is omniscient. He is omnipresent. But then we see also His divine power. His divine power. His feet were like burnished bronze. His feet were like burnished bronze. It was a, a, a thing to do in, in those days when two kings would come to meet in battle. The victor would bring the defeated king before him, and the defeated king would lay down on the ground before the victor, and the victorious king would set his foot over the throat of the defeated king. When John paints this picture of Jesus with bronzen feet of, uh, feet of bronze and bronze, 
He's showing that his, his power, his omnipotence, he is all-powerful. There's no foe that will defeat him. He will crush every foe, every enemy, every threat will be defeated before the power of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ has the power of God. He is all-powerful, omnipotent God. But Jesus also has, has shown here to have the divine authority of God. The divine authority of God. From that first vision, he heard this, a, a voice, a loud voice like a trumpet sounding. One like a trumpet sounding. Boy, this is an Old Testament reference. We see this same sound occurring at Mount Sinai when the presence of God, the glory of God, settled down on Mount Sinai before the people of Israel. Exodus chapter 19, verse 16 says, On the morning of the third day there were thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast so that all the people trembled in the camp. Then Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God. You see that rumble and thunder and the loud trumpet, it came from God Almighty whose presence had settled on the mountain. And further it goes on to say that his voice, his had the voice, it was like a roar of many waters. Jesus speaks with all authority because he speaks with the authority of of God not only that but he also had a f the face of glory his face was like the sun shining in full strength oh the pure uh, essence of God's glory the radiance of God's glory shone about Jesus this again is a fulfillment of the prophecy, a same kind of picture given to us in the Old Testament in Daniel chapter 7. Again, backing up just a few verses to look at verses 9 and 10, Daniel here catches a vision of the Ancient of Days, that is Yahweh, God Almighty. And he says, as I looked, thrones were placed, and the Ancient of Days took his seat his, cloth, his clothing was white as snow, and the hairs of his head were pure wool. His throne was fiery flames, and its wheels were burning fire. A stream of fire issued and came out from before him, and a thousand thousands served him, and ten thousands times 10,000 stood before him. Court sat in judgment and the books were opened. This vision of the ancient of days is the same vision that John sees when he looks to the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ. Dear friend, Jesus is no ordinary man. Yes, he is 100% man, but he is also 100% God. 
He is God. He is all God. He is the creator and sustainer of all things. Scripture tells us that through Him and for Him and by Him were all things created. He is God in human flesh. Colossians chapter 1, verse 15 through 17 says, He is the image of the invisible God. That means He is the perfect image, the perfect reflection of the invisible God. He, in Jesus Christ, the invisible becomes visible. We see God only through Jesus Christ. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. And that doesn't mean he was first created. That means he is supreme over all creation. He rules and reigns over all creation. As it goes on, it says, For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities all things were created through him and for him and he is before all things and in him all things hold together Jesus Christ is our creator and our sustainer he is God the son the second person of the trinity he is from everlasting to everlasting this is no mere human king this is God in the flesh who comes to rule and reign over his people. Jesus is sovereign God over all of creation, and he is worthy of our worship and our witness. Third, Jesus, he is, uh, he is God's appointed human king over his kingdom, but he is also sovereign God himself, the sovereign son of God, the second person of the Trinity. And third, Jesus is Redeemer. Jesus is Redeemer. As John falls on his face before Jesus, Jesus touches him. And there in verse 17, he says to John, Fear not, I am the first and the last and the living one. I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore. And I have the keys of death and Hades. Look here, Jesus is saying what Jesus is saying. He says, I am the Redeemer. I am the Redeemer. I am the very Son of God who took on human flesh. That is the gospel. That God came. He stepped down from His royal throne, seeing us dead in our sins. He took action. We can never take any action to win us favor before God, but God took action, and God the, God the Son stepped down from His glory, and He came to dwell among us. He became a human being. He says, I was alive. He came and lived that perfect life in perfect obedience to the Father's will. And He says, I died. He went to Calvary's cross and he died the death that we deserve. He died the death of a condemned man, a cursed man, a sinful man, a guilty man. But not because he was guilty, because he was free of all guilt. But he died a guilty man for our sins in our place. Scripture tells us, for he became sin who knew no sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. He died for us in our place so that we might be forgiven of our sin, 
And he was raised again to show that all sin had been paid for and taken care of. And he rules and reigns and he gives his own righteousness, his own purity to those who believe and trust in him. He is Redeemer. Dear friend, He redeems His people from their sins. He redeems people from the wrath of God that they deserve for their rebellion. He redeems you, brothers and sisters, from your rebellion so that you might be forgiven before God. He is Redeemer. He has the keys of authority over death and Hades. That's what that means by saying that he has the keys. Keys represents one who has authority. He has authority over death and Hades. Death and Hades no longer affect those who are in Jesus. Because of Jesus, dear friend, we need not to fear a thing in the world, not even death or hell or any other thing in this world. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 5 through 57, there says, O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, who gives us the victory in Christ Jesus our Lord. He has won the victory over sin. He has won the victory over death. And if we trust in Him, we will not suffer eternal death. But we will have life in His kingdom. As Redeemer, Jesus has redeemed us from our sin and saved us from our greatest enemy, sin and death. And he is worthy of our worship and our witness. Fourth, Jesus is ever-present protector. Jesus is ever-present protector. And I'll run through this quickly. I want you to see this, though. At the end there, he says, As for the mystery, verse 20, As for the mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. Now notice what he says about the, the seven stars and the seven lampstands. First, when John turns to see the vision, he says he saw one like the Son of Man in the midst of, of the candle stands he is in the midst of the candle stands now these seven candle stands represent the seven churches and admittedly John is writing to seven specific real churches in his day he's got a message for them but it is also significant that the book of Revelation is an apocrypha as a genre of literature that uses symbolism to get the complete point across and so it is significant that, that here we see seven churches because seven is the number of God. It represents completeness. It represents perfection. And I believe what John is saying here, what Jesus is saying through John, that he is in the midst of all his churches. He is in their midst. He is here with us today, friend. Oh, you don't see him, but Jesus is here. He is in our midst. He is walking in our midst 
As he says in Matthew 28, verse 20, And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Jesus is ever-present with his church. Not only that, but he is also protector. He is also the ever-present protector of his church. He said in his hands there were seven stars. And these seven stars are the, the seven angels. Now angel is a transliteration of the Greek word angelos. But when we translate angelos, it means messenger. It means a messenger. And he is writing to these messengers. Who are the messengers? Well, the messengers are those human servants, the pastors, the preachers over these seven churches. They represent these seven churches as, as leadership in these seven churches. And he says, write to these seven angels, these seven leaders, my pastors in these churches. And these pastors are in the hands of the Lord. But let me tell you something, it's, just not, it's not just the pastor. I'll take great comfort in that, that I'm in God's hands. But it's not just the pastor, because as a representative of the church, all of the church is in his hands. As the pastor and the preacher of the church is in the hands of the Lord, the whole church is in the hands of the Lord, and he is there to protect the whole church. He says, in his right hand he held seven stars. From his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword. Now, just look over there for a minute to uh, chapter 2, verse 14 through 16 there. Well, he's talking to the church at Pergamum. And he says, I have these things against you. And you have some there who hold to the teachings of Balaam, who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the sons of Israel so that they might eat food sacrificed to idols and practice sexual sac, practice sexual immorality so also you have some who hold to the teachings of the Nicolaitans in other words there's a group of pagans they're not Christians they're pagans who are coming into the church and they're starting to have influence in the church and they're starting to lead the church away from the pure gospel. They're starting to bring in paganism. They're starting to bring in compromise. Even so that some of the church are, go are drifting into paganism and even sexual immorality. And what does the Lord say to them? Therefore repent. If not, I will come to you soon and war against them. Who's them? These pagans, these Nicolaitans. I will war against them with the sword of my mouth. Jesus is the ever-present protector of his church. Oh, we should find great comfort in that. We should find great comfort in that. And because Jesus is our ever-present protector, he is worthy of our worship and our witness. Jesus is indeed worthy of our worship and our witness. Do you see that today? Do you see who Jesus is? Jesus is the human king that God has set over his kingdom. He is sovereign God in human flesh, sovereign over all of creation. He is everything to us. He is Redeemer. He is ever-present protector of His church. Do you see who Jesus is? Saul of Tarsus was a man who hated the church. 
He was a persecutor of the church. He stood and gave approval when the first Christian martyr, Stephen, was stoned to death there in Jerusalem. And from there he went out persecuting the church, rounding up Christians, bringing them back to sit in judgment. But one day on the road to Damascus, Saul came face to face with Jesus Christ. He saw a vision of Jesus in all of his glory, and it changed his life. It transformed his entire life. After he came face to face with the glorious Jesus Christ, Saul the persecutor became Paul the apostle and proclaimer of Jesus Christ. And he took the message of Jesus Christ all throughout the Roman Empire. He proclaimed the glory of Jesus Christ everywhere he went. He was stoned, he was beaten, he was exiled, he suffered many things for the glory of Jesus, even going to the chopping block and dying a martyr's death for the testimony of Jesus Christ. Oh, dear friends, when we get a vision of the glory of Jesus, it will change everything. It will change how we live. It will change how we proclaim His glory. It will change everything. Oh, that we would get a fresh vision of the glory of Jesus Christ, who is Jesus. He is the worthy Son of God who rules and reigns over God's kingdom, who is the redeemer of God's people, who is the protector of God's people. He is sovereign God in the flesh. He is worthy of our worship and our witness. Do you know this Jesus? Do you know him today? Maybe you've never seen him today, but today for the first time, your eyes have been opened and you see Jesus for the first time. Dear friends, the only way you get into God's kingdom is through knowing Jesus Christ. If you see Jesus for who he is today, don't turn away from him, but turn to him in faith. Trust in this Jesus. And he will save you by his redeeming power. Oh, Heavenly Father, we thank you for this fresh vision of Jesus. Oh, Lord, we thank you that you have shown us, you have revealed Jesus to us. And Lord, we must confess that our cloudy eyes cannot see him as clearly as we ought. Oh, Lord, break through the clouds. Break through the clouds and let us catch a fresh vision of Jesus Christ. And Lord, there are those who today who have never seen Jesus, never known Jesus. Lord, today for the first time, let their unbelieving heart turn to Jesus in faith and trust in him. This I pray in Christ's name. Amen.